You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ranić at the wheel, and Fred's on the score sheet. Goals galore in Serie A as the Scudetto race is blown wide open. Jesse Marsh gets his marching orders. MLS conference final drama, and that's just the tip of the weekend recap iceberg. I'm here with Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, to break down all the action. Kigo Lasso weekend recap begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kigo Lasso. Welcome to our weekend Recap, thank you so much for being part of the family. If you're watching this on YouTube, I can't emphasize this enough. Smash that like button. Also, we are live, so we want to hear from you. Get in that comment section. If you have something for Jimmy or Heath or yours truly, please send them in. Share your thoughts, ask a question, get things off your chest. Our producer, Des Norris, will throw the best comments on screen. And even if we don't you know, mention them or answer your question, we'll put them up on the screen so everybody can see your incredible commentary. And everybody will say, my goodness, why aren't you hosting Kego Lasso instead of <laughs> LME? Some of you are listening to this in the podcast form later on. That's nice. Please Leave a rating and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else you listen to your pods. Right then, Heath Pierce, how are you, bud? I was good until I saw Jimmy wearing a Real Batiste uh, <laughs> shirt. And after the same week, it, week as Jonathan Johnson wore a Real Batiste shirt, conveniently while Real Batiste continues to climb up the table. It just seems a little convenient to me. But outside of that, I'm great, man. I'm great. Well, that's great. Hey, Jimmy, would you care to defend yourself? No, that's nothing to defend. They went to the camp uh, new and got a big result against Barcelona, the first loss uh, for Xavi uh, since he's been in charge. Listen, I'm just kind of supporting teams that wearing stripes, including my oh. very own club, Newcastle, who won. Their first Premier League game of the season against Burnley. Thank you, Burnley, for allowing that to happen. It's much appreciated. Finally, finally, right? And JJ did call it. And by the way, because we are live, we're also tracking, of course, uh, the MLS Conference Finals, NYCFC. By the way, just score. They're leading 2-1 against Philadelphia Union. So, uh, you know, we'll keep you in track with that because we're going to talk about that towards the end of the game. Uh, towards the end of the show, I'm sorry, but we got plenty to discuss, everybody. And we begin, of course, in the Premier League. Ralph Ranick at the wheel, Manchester United, one nothing against Crystal Palace. Uh, you already saw a few things, I think, under Ranick, but I'd love the boys to chime in. But United get that three points under their new interim manager. Jimmy Conrad, thoughts, buddy? Yeah, well, from a defensive perspective, and as a former center back, I'm very proud of this. They got their first clean sheet at home since April, their third clean sheet of the season in all competitions. And I think that Ralph Rangnick is really most most impressed with that. You know, he really wanted to make sure there was some emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. And as I kind of parsed through his quotes after the game and listened to him in his press conference, what I really loved and, and the type of coach that I want to be one day if I ever get there, or even when I do coach uh, some of the youth stuff that I'm involved with now, mainly with my daughter's teams. I'm the best volunteer dad coach of all time, everybody, but <laughs> it's being proactive on both sides of the ball, that even if you don't have the ball, you're still in control of the game. You're still allowing, okay, they can have possession, but they're having possession where you want them to have possession. And the fact that that type of terminology is coming out of Rangnick's mouth makes me want to get to know Ralph Rangnick even more. I just really like what he put together, even though he only had a few days to organize his team. They played very narrow in a 4-2-2-2. I like that he had Cristiano Ronaldo up top with a partner with Marcus Rashford and that he had the double tens there with Sancho and Bruno Fernandez. And, and I do actually think under Rangnick, 
We're going to see a lot more of McTominay and Fred, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of a lot of United fans. But given what they do and the type of energy they bring behind the ball and how they win it and how they, they can actually force a team to play a little higher up the field, I think that's going to be at least good for Fred and McTominay. But yeah, great result overall. They did what they needed to do, got the clean sheet in three points. And that is definitely a performance to build on. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would say to that is, obviously, I thought for long periods, it's the best pressing I've ever seen from this team in terms of a cohesive press, in terms of not even just the, once they're set up. It's more of in transition when the game is chaotic, just seeing, and it reminds me, and again, I was never really a student of the old Manchester United, but the one thing that I remember growing up watching was energy, right? They would, when they would sit, get in their blocks and they would press, they would just force negative passes until it went back to a goalkeeper who would lump it long, win the second balls, and then they'd win possession there and, and build out. And it just seemed like they had that same thought. Instead of saying, hey, we sit in our lines, we sit in our blocks. When they hit that line of confrontation, we press. If they go back, we stay here. It was more of this forcing this negative passes with, that would then lead to you know 50-50 challenges in the air from a long ball on the goalkeeper. The only thing I would actually say, and this might actually make some people mad, is I just don't know, moving forward, where Bruno Fernandez fits into this side. If you're in a 4 2 2 listen, I like the 4 2 2. And Jimmy, as Jimmy said, I think it puts a lot on McTominay and Fred, and whether they're the answers long term or not, it forces them to have to do a lot of that dirty work. I think those next two tens, right? That's where I'm, I'm seeing some issues because Bruno Fernandez, yes, he's going to float, but he has such an ability when he's good to have the final ball, to have the perfect ball. But when he's not, which I would consider right now at his best, and his best being world class, no doubt. But when he's anything less than world-class, this is the reason why the 10 position doesn't really exist anymore, is that he just gives a lot of turnovers. He kills the flow of play. He tries to force things. And that's the type of player he is. That's no knock on him. That's a knock on the system because when the team's trying to build up and create any sort of rhythm, especially in chaos, he looks for that final ball very often. And when that ball is off, you now have to have workers around you. And I think that's a little bit of the chaos that the team is going to continue to suffer from when he's on the field. Again, when he's when he's having a good game, there's no player, the very few players in the world like him can do what he does, has the range of passing that he has, can finish, but he makes bad decisions at times to shoot from tough angles, from tough spots. Last year, it was fantastic. He could finish those. This year, he's not. Last year, he could put in that perfect ball nine out of 10 times. This year, he's not. And you start to see those things where the players are around, you look around, you say, hey, we're in clear possession. Why are you shooting that? Why are you making these decisions? And I think that could hurt moving forward and leave a position open. I don't know what you do with him if you don't play him. I think that's a difficult position to put any manager in. But I do wonder how he's going to fit if you have, again, Ronaldo and him on the field, both looking to do the same thing. And that's to be the difference maker on the field for the team that day. Mm. No, I agree with you. It's those sentiments. And that's an interesting conversation to have about Bruno. It almost seems like maybe under Rangnick, you can only have one luxury player on the field at a time. So it's either Ronaldo or Bruno. I'm very curious to, to see how that plays out moving forward. I do, though, want to throw out there for everybody that uh, maybe doesn't care for Manchester United but still watch the game, that Crystal Palace had a hell of an opportunity in about the 75th minute. Yeah. And then the next foray down the field, that maybe should have been scored, and the next foray down the field, that's when Man United and Fred, of all people, <laughs> I've come up with a new thing, WTF, and it means what the Fred. And usually what the Fred is <laughs> like, what is he doing? There's no way that dude's Brazilian. But then he showed his Brazilian card with that goal, which was his weak foot, and that was a hell of a finish. And I think he's really going to blossom along, amongst some other players, too. I think Jaden Sancho is really going to blossom under Rangnick as well. So there's so many positives to take away from this game. But there was the game. When the game was in the balance, still at 0-0, Palace did have that one opportunity to maybe snatch a point or all three points. And that we shouldn't just completely forget about that opportunity because that obviously would have changed a lot of the narrative.
Yeah, no, we shouldn't. By the way, thank you so much for everybody already commenting. Uh, some are agreeing with you, Heath, about Bruno Fernandes, of course, and the style uh, and the system, obviously, will take massive precedent there. Two things that uh, were uh, immediate to me was they weren't Manchester United and the Ranić system, uh, even in these very early stages, they weren't countered as much. And that's a massive, mm -hmm. uh, massive already advantage because United usually, especially under social, were just like sufferers in defensive transition and obviously he didn't even change the lineup from the previous game so you already saw like tactically what was gonna happen there but well done Manchester United you got your win one nothing against Crystal Palace uh in, in terms of this similar kind of conversation Mauricio Pochettino continues to be a talking point for the permanent job at the very least this summer and they weren't impressive PSG uh against uh Lance they're only a, a point away there uh, just very quick thoughts do you think uh I know Jimmy, you said it earlier, actually. Uh, so I'll just return to you and then Heath obviously uh, chime in. But you, you, you're, you're not even sure Pochettino should be the man for the job anyway. What, what do you <laughs> yeah, there are times, though, he did start all three Argentinians up top with Di Maria and Icardi and Messi. I watched a good portion of this game and Lance did have a lot, a lot of opportunities when PSG were down. 1-0 and, and where they were pushing forward and committing more numbers. And I think that's where they got the bulk of their opportunities and maybe should have stole all three points. But what I'll say is PSG creates so many opportunities that if they don't finish those opportunities, then of yes, of course, teams are going to come around. They're going to get some BS goal and they're going to score. And then it's going to be really difficult for them to get back into it. Why I don't know about Pochettino in this particular regard is because he's a high pressing guy and, and, he doesn't have the, the guys that want to play the way his style. So it's almost yeah. like, yeah, okay. I've got some of the world's best players, but I like to play this way. And these guys don't play that way. And I don't really know. I'm doing my best over here, you know? And so <laughs> I would really like to get a beer with Mauricio Pochettino when there's no cameras and just like, give it to me straight, dude. Cause he'd be like, God damn it. Man, Mbappe, what a nightmare, you know? And messy. Yeah, I just like the real truth about how these guys and how they're performing and all that. One thing of note, Mbappe didn't start. He comes in. He ends up dropping a dime uh, to another sub, Vinaldum, who scores. Mbappe doesn't celebrate with the team. He just turns around and walks back. And I just thought, yeah, you might be pissed at Pochettino or whatever. But, dude, like, that's a big goal and a big moment to get it back to 1-1. Go celebrate with your guys, you know? And I, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't want to be too harsh in my judgment here. But if I saw, if I was captain of the team and I saw one of my teammates acting like that, I'd go grab him by the shoulder and make sure he went and celebrated with the guys because it just feels like you're starting to create a little bit of a chasm between what's happening and, and that just kills the vibe, you know? And, and so I, I'm very curious to see how Pochettino once again is going to handle this. I don't know if he's the right guy for PSG. I don't even know if he's the right guy from, for Manchester United, but uh, obviously we have to wait and see. Yep. Yeah. The only thing I would, I would add to that is again, that, that managerial skill of ego and people management. We've seen that in the past. I think about uh murder soccer when he was at Arsenal and when he would grab players and send them over to say something to the fans, mm -hmm. when you had Carlos Puyol, if you look, if you remember that sort of highlight reel that's on the internet, that it, it's constantly him. Like every time there's a situation, him like smacking one of his players on the back of the head for over celebrating, sending them back to the half line or like forcing them to stand up and keep playing when they take a little bit of a knock and things like that. I just think about that in the context of Mbappe. Like, who is the one that's putting their arm around him? Because he's a young guy. He's won everything. He's done everything already. And he is going through it, right? Is my future here? Is my future elsewhere? I was, I was the king of all this. And now look at all these people around me that are getting this attention. Whereas, you know, woe is me type of situation. And not because he's starting or not start, starting in matches, but more of like somebody saying, you're an important part of this. Let's figure this out. 
or his future is undecided. And it almost seems like he's making a little bit of a scene. And, you know, that mentality can be, he hasn't been known for having that sort of mentality. Obviously, uh, we're not in the locker room, but that can be poisonous. It can last a long time for players that end up jaded. We've seen that with a number of big players in the past that sort of get this this sort of ego. And so, yeah, I think I think for a player like that and and uh, like Mbappe, uh, and I know I know we're going back to the to the Pochettino conversation. Uh, a lot of that's going to be how you man manage and how you get people to buy into the system. He's got the biggest challenge in the world right now of getting these big stars to buy into the system. Man United won't be that difficult. I think Man United is more about crafting a roster and what do you do with some of the tough decisions of moving players on? Maybe he's in the process of, of figuring all that out now. But I'm not. I, I don't think he's necessarily the wrong manager. But whoever it is, you know, he spent five. What was it? Five or six seasons at Spurs. You need to invest in somebody that you're going to give a number of seasons. And I think Ole Gunnar has done a good job of moving this team forward. I think you know, putting Ronaldo to the side, which I think is really what, what spurred any sort of progress. Now the next person has to come in and be able to take that for another three, four years, knowing that it's going to, that's post Ronaldo era and it's building a foundation for the future. No, absolutely correct. Uh, you know, just something, uh, food for thought for everybody, by the way, and, and I'm paraphrasing Ralph Ranick here, but he's, he always says you adapt your system to your players, not the other way around. And, you know, there could be a question to say Mauricio Pochettino, is he culpable for not, you know, adapting his style to PSG's players. Are the egos well, too big? Is it a tough thing? What do you think, Jimmy? Well, Luis, what if he can't? What if he can't actually yeah, figure out a way? Too, the mountain could be too big to climb, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, how do, how do I do this? I've got like, you know, he has those three working hard midfielders, usually more often than not with Herrera and, and Adrisa Gay and Paredes. And, mm. and and sometimes he has Verratti when he's healthy, you know, and, and I think Verratti's really the key player in all this because he is that one guy that can help the team transition in a meaningful way. We've talked about this. But he's got a lot of luxury players, and, and it's a lot to balance and a ton of ego. And, and you got Mbappe, who's already asked to be wanted out, and Messi, who seemed almost reluctant to come to PSG. He's like, well, Barcelona kind of screwed me. I'm just, I'm just going to go there, you know? And so it just didn't seem like there's a, a, a vibe around the team. Now, that said, they're still crushing it at the top of Liga. They're, they're, they're into the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Like, and that's been my thing. Get, it's not get a dumpster yourself fire. through the knockout stages. Right, right. Yeah, go but, ahead. But there's still... You know, you, the teams that end up winning things, they have a little something, right? And, and I don't think they I've seen that little something yet. Now, for all you Paris fans out there, what's really important to know is I don't think you've played at your peak. And that is a really scary proposition for the rest of Europe, in my humble opinion. So this, yeah, I mean, the jury's still out, obviously, but uh, I think there's a lot of work to do there. Yeah, the main thing, getting to your peak is the hard part with this group, right? And when I think about uh, Ranić's uh, quote there, well, Pochettino had a say in six signings this summer, the big signings that they all had, right? Um, and so what is it that that he obviously brings them in, knowing you don't bring them in and go, well, let's see how these players play, you know? Let's see what kind of guys they are or see what kind of quality they have. You're bringing in world-class players that are obviously going to disrupt the the locker room and the style of play. And yes, I agree, you have to adapt to those players. But at the same time, I hope he had a plan or or maybe it was over his head and he had no control of those signings, which is an even bigger problem for any manager that's going to come in and PSG, who are backed by sovereign funds, uh, are able to 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 make it uh, somebody's individual passion project. And that's a dangerous recipe, uh, no matter how big the names of the players are uh, in that situation. So I think it's a tough situation to be in, but obviously he's the one that's ultimately saying yes to these signings. So he has to either adapt or 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 had to have an idea that, oh, I'm going to, oops, I've got three of the best players in the world, but guess what? None of them defend. What am I going to do now? You better have a good answer for that question because right now, yeah, Jimmy, top of the table. Yeah, they're in the knockout rounds of the of of the of uh champions league but 
it just takes one loss, one tough loss for them, and they are definitely beatable at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Daniel just talking about maybe some players, some other players, uh, Bruno Fernandes aside, might suffer a little bit. Luke Shaw, Juan Bissaka, McTominay. We will see what happens. We will see what happens. But the most important thing, obviously, is that victory, three points, and Manchester United roll on. And the uh, discussion of uh, who will take the permanent job, even it could be even Nanyak. You never know. Uh, you know, takes control there. All right. The rest of the Premier League, by the way, Chelsea, West Ham, West Ham. Well done, West Ham. The fizzle, the bubbles came back at the London Stadium. Of course, there's the rest of the results as well as West Ham win uh, 3-2 against Chelsea. Uh, Divico Rigi at the death for Liverpool. Amazing. Man City uh, take care of business against Watford. Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa 2-1 against uh, Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. Newcastle get that win, as Jimmy Conrad was saying mm-hmm. as well. Suck it, haters. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh well you know uh everton and arsenal face each other on monday and uh quickly before we go back to that victor orta by the way director there at leeds united went a little crazy in that uh late draw against uh brentford a quick question to you boys and everybody else do you, do you like that if, if it was your team and it's your director do you yeah. think oh yeah i love that passion uh, what do you think? Uh, both of you. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, go ahead. You said, no, no, I, I would say that, it, you know what? It, that shows me that it matters mm. that, that he cares. And yeah, is it professional for him to go after whoever he was going after? Maybe not, but I like that. There's a little sauce in the front office and the, in the luxury boxes, right? That that matters to, to the people that are making the decisions and who invest. Sometimes there's this I don't know, this indifference to what's happening on the field. It's a, it's an investment and in, in, in maybe it's a, they want to lose money so they can balance their books somewhere else. We see that with the Kraft family. Shout out to the Kraft family for doing that for years of the New England Revolution. So I, 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 you just don't know. But when you see your, your sporting director and it matters to him, and maybe he's feeling some pressure too, right? Because Leeds hasn't really been killing it in any stretch of the imagination. But I like that there's a little bit of that emotion and that he cares. Yeah, Heath? Yeah, I fully agree. I like that. I like that emotion. Obviously, if this is somebody who is doing this on week in, week out, then it's problematic, right? It's somebody that's, you know, I saw this, um, up in Montreal with, with the ownership group being kind of caught up in the emotions of games, making, you know, kind of spending too much time in, in the locker rooms amongst the players and sort of being overly involved. And it just, it manifests itself sometimes with signs from fans in the stadium, supporters attacking the sporting director and people saying, you know, it's kind of the old layouts and those types of situations. And they get caught up in all that. And then they're in the locker rooms and they, they sort of become a little bit too close to the team, which I think could be problematic. But any, if there's an, an outburst and things like that. I think it's a, a a sign if if it's once in a while. But again, if this is somebody that's getting caught up in these emotions all the time, it can be a big distraction for the club. Yeah, and just one final thing, as I mentioned, by the way, Everton Arsenal, uh, Marcel Brandt, director of football, uh, steps down, and that's something that we were talking about actually in the weekend preview. Jonathan Johnson brought it up, and we discussed it. You know, it's more than just Rafa Benitez. A few changes higher up, obviously, uh, are affecting. Everton, back to you there, Keith Pierce, and then Jimmy, chime in about this uh, change here as obviously Everton board sees, yeah, there's bigger problems. It's just the managerial side and what's going on on the pitch. Yeah, I, I think this is really important because so often we we literally focus on, again, the old, old layout thing has happened for months, right? And we talk about him, 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 him. But what about 
everything that happens behind closed doors. You got boards of, I mean, these are, these are conglomerate businesses now, right? You have investors, you have board, board of directors, you have the sporting side, front office, back office. You have all these people contributing to this thing to make it successful for a number of reasons, whether it's share value, share price, uh, results, passion, whatever it is, there's, everybody has an intention when they're involved and you have a lot of people that maybe get to fly under the radar because they're not the ones, uh, in, uh, forced to get the results at the weekend. He obviously just signed a three-year extension, which I, I, I find a little bit bizarre and odd that there was this level of belief um, and whether he believes in the project or not or had some sort mm. of falling out. But that's part, part of the club. And I actually appreciate anybody who steps down or is let go or relieved of their duties, even with a long-term contract, if they're able to have that foresight to saying, hey, this project wasn't what I thought it was, or perhaps we, we don't see eye to eye of where we take this. We've taken this a few steps forward, what the next step is. We don't agree on, agree on that. Rather than just burning this whole thing down, which is a detriment to the fans, to the club, let's just part ways and 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 we'll we'll, we'll do se separate projects. And when you can identify that early on, I actually respect that quite a bit. No, what I would jump in and say is that I don't think the accountability should always just be with the manager. I think there's more that's going on behind the scenes. And I know that we'll talk about Jesse Marsh and RB Leipzig here very soon. And I think there's a straight line between this conversation and what happened there. Where if the if if the manager that you've hired isn't equipped with the tools to play the style that he wants, it, it, and then and then you expect a, a different result than what these two things you have these sets of players and this manager does it all work together? Then that and and that person who's in charge signed the players and then hired the manager. I don't always think that's just on the manager, and I like that there's some accountability and some responsibility that has to happen at the director of football, sporting director, whatever the role is called, that that person also has to take some of that as well and say, I got to do better. So I, ha I have some respect for him for stepping down or at least feeling the pressure and ending his time amicably with the club. And I wish that there were more people out there that did it, but there's obviously a nice thirst for power and greed and not a lot of people want to give that up. Looking at you, Daniel Levy. <laughs> Oh, by the way, we got that out loud. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's out loud. this weekend. Let's celebrate. Oh, loud. You called out names, I think. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, uh, we, we have some Arsenal viewers right now. Some are nervous. Uh, Heath, how are you feeling about the game? Just real quick. Oh, I mean, tomorrow's game yeah. for Arsenal? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I like that. I like the, the controversy of a, of an Everton side that are struggling right now. And now your mm. uh, director of football steps down. Uh, this is a, this is a good time. And again, I think, I think Arsenal are solid where they're looking at in the table. And I know we'll get to, we'll put the table on the screen soon, but the table is, is looking really, really attractive right now for anybody who's trying to break into the top four. Obviously West Ham being a team that just will, will not go away and could sit in that top four until the, the end of the season, even move up higher. But now there's opportunities for Manchester United's in there. Arsenal's in there. Spurs are back in that, that conversation. And so there it's just a, a time where you're starting to realize you've got to find your form. You've got to find your rhythm because if you don't, you will fall out of that conversation and Arsenal, while they've had some bumps and bruises along the way, actually look like a team that's going to consistently get results. So I like their odds against Everton right now. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, the table is tight because with Chelsea losing, Man City obviously won and Liverpool won. Man City top now 35 points, Liverpool 34, Chelsea 33, West Ham retain that fourth spot. It's big, it's big. 27 and Antonio Conte's Tottenham looking good. Obviously it was Norwich with all due respect, but 25 points, United 24, Arsenal 23. So, uh, you know, top half is looking good. Jimmy, final words on Premier yeah, League. Yeah, before we move, I, I actually want to get your thoughts and everybody listening and watching. Mm. And if you're just listening to us later, hit us up at Kegelasapod on Twitter because we want to hear you and your thoughts. Bernardo Silva scores a brace against Watford. And the dude is next level right now. I mean, they were talking about him 
moving him, that he was almost surplus goods because, oh, Jack Grealish came in. And I'm sure, uh, Luis, I'm sure you quietly love the fact that he's not that influential for the oh, team. Yeah. But I'm, Bernardo Silva, my, my for whatever reason, the dude's been another level for me. And I yeah, just maybe. want to throw this out there that I think he's one of the one of the current in this moment, last three months, maybe even from the beginning of the season, one of the top five players in the world. I'd go him, Mo Salah, Lewandowski, and Vinicius Jr. And I don't know who that fifth is. So I'm open to hearing from everybody. But I think Salah's got to be in there. Lewandowski obviously is a beast. And and even if, refs, it, even if the refs are helping him in the in the, the Dirk Classicer. Uh, Benzema, I, I tried to not have two players from the same team. but And Benzema's hurt. And guess who stepped up this week against Real Sociedad? Vinicius Jr. But I yeah. just I just feel like Bernardo Silva has to be in that conversation. The guy has been lights out. Yeah, Dusan Vlaovic was going to be my Vlaovic fifth. would be a good one. I like that. Yeah. Oh, it's, um, just, it's just weird that the guy who just won the ball on door isn't in your top five. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to put him in either. I'm just well, saying. I mean, he hasn't really done anything, right? I think I saw a stat where Robert Lewandowski scored like summer, 16 dude. goals. Yeah. He scored 16 goals uh, this season or something or this year, whatever. And Messi scored one. So, like, you know, there's it's ridiculous uh, in terms of current current trend right. yeah so Bernardo Silva the beginning of the season I'd say Bernardo Silva no I'm with you I'm with you so Richard Romano said a very interesting tweet about this saying you know listen like Pep Guardiola you know those rumors of maybe him leaving City whatever Pep Guardiola was very influential in that saying we want you to stay but mm -hmm. we want you to do everything we will support you do whatever and look at Bernardo Silva now absolutely great question from Natalie by the way which manager has had a great greater impact over the last few weeks Gerard or Conte. I will not chime in because I already can give you my answer, but what do you think, Keith? And then Jimmy Jump. And yeah, answer it quickly, says Des Norris, because <laughs> yeah, we got we got we got a lot to do here. Um, I would say I would say Conte. I, I think I think that team was in the I mean, man, so so were Aston Villa uh in the dumps, but uh but Aston Villa was was more about just bringing in a little bit of a system. I mean Spurs for the quality that they have. Aston Villa had to find a new way to play without Jack Grealish, right? They had to find a whole new sort of identity, so to speak, which I think they've done that both defensively and offensively. But but under Conte, that was a that was a dumpster fire that looked like it wasn't going to get better for a while, right? And you're now you're getting results. You're still not getting anything out of Harry Kane, but you're getting results. And I think that was a bigger turnaround, knowing that the center of your universe is a striker who's who who scored all your goals and then now is not scoring goals, but you're still being able to get results. That's my take on that. Yeah, yeah I actually go Steven Gerrard. I, I like what he's done very quickly. I think that he's put in uh, a style that already fits the group. And I feel like their energy around what he's brought in has been very good. Not to say that hasn't happened with Antonio Conte. And I feel like he's working from the back to the front. He's trying to lock things down in the front. And maybe his last item is Harry Kane or just hopeful that Harry Kane will turn it around at some point. But but I actually like what Steven Gerrard's done. And I, I'm very uh, bullish, I'd say, on his future and that. Once Jurgen Klopp leaves Liverpool in a few years, all right, Steven Jimmy, Gerrard could be the guy that takes over. I'm just saying, I'm, okay, I'm being quick. I'm done. I just please, <laughs> you, you're giving you, you you're trying to give Desnor as a VOD right now. I don't want it. All right, all right, let's move on. You already know my answer, Natalie. Okay, so it doesn't really matter. All right, we're gonna take a break, but uh, live YouTube that means a break, and we come right back. And audio, it's a little extra longer, and then we'll be back. But when we come back, the rest of Europe and uh, MLS, we have MLS Cup. All said, and I believe yours truly got it right. Thank you, everybody. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Hey, everybody, we're back. We told you, que uh, golazo, weekend recap, Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce. All right, let's talk about Serie A. My goodness, the Scudetto race is absolutely ridiculous. 32 goals in the first eight matches of match day 16. Two Olympicos, by the way, as well. Let's put that city at table on the screen straight away, Des Norris. This is some crazy stuff right here. First of all, Atalanta, 3-2 against Napoli. That's the first home defeat of the season, by the way, because we were talking about how good Napoli are top as well. And now look at that. Inter Milan destroy Roma. I'm sorry, there, Jimmy, uh, Juventus does get that win. Fiorentina gets that win. That means that, look at that leapfrog from Juve and Fiorentina. And with Inter as well, um, that table is so, so tight. Uh, Spalletti's men, by the way, to third uh, below Milan teams as well when you look at Napoli. Because now it's uh, all about Milan, Inter and AC. Jimmy, Serie A, craziness. Talk to me. Well, I'm just going to have my first flex of the day. I don't know how many minutes we're into this one, but I mm. went on Paramount Plus and gave some bets for nice. the, the games. And, and ultimately, I hit five out of six. And my big one was yeah. the away day parlay parte, baby. I had Inter Milan and Atalanta <laughs> both losing, or excuse me, winning away from home. And that paid plus 500. So I'm absolutely buzzing over here. You can just see it kind of written. Uh, Inter Going into Stadio Olimpico, no Tammy Abraham for Roma, no Pellegrini. Uh, missing some key elements there, and I think it really showed. And Inter just in fine form. I also had Ed and Jekko scoring anytime. You knew he'd want to get revenge on his former club that discarded Jimmy, him hold on real cold. quick on that. Jimmy, on what? that real what? quick. Can we can we talk about the fact that Jekko didn't celebrate? Nothing pisses me off more. Why? When a guy... Because it's, it's one thing to put your head down like you're sad that you beat your team that lets you go and allowed you to now go to an even better team and actually have a chance at winning a, a title instead of uh, instead of uh, Roma, who, who wouldn't. And you just kind of put your head down and walk. I just feel like that's so stupid to me. It's kind of like Lewandowski has no problem. Obviously, he's been there for a decade now, but like he's got no problem bagging against Dortmund and then just kind of at least showing some excitement that you scored a goal. It doesn't matter. You don't have to like taunt them. 
Well, well, uh, no, that's true. Taunting is. is I'm thing. making it sound like you're on. No, your side no, no. I feel like you taking a position. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I feel like when you win an Academy Award and then you you just you, you tell everybody how humbled you are that you won it because yeah. you want to give well, me a shout out to all your like. Shut up, dude. Just be happy that you won the. Right, let's throw thing, that you know? question to everybody watching. <laughs> I have. I, I remember when I was working at the Guardian. I wanted to write an article about this. About you know, I think first of all, context, right? I think that sometimes not celebrating is disrespectful to the, your current employer. Sometimes you want to do a little celebration, but it, it depends how long of a legend or a player you've been in the former club. I think if you were like for a season or two seasons in your former club and you score against them, like it's fine. So should players celebrate goals against their former clubs, everybody? Who is, who is the Arsenal player that did that? And he ran all the way down to the end of the field. When yeah, he, he, got, he, got, he got sent off after that. Who um, was that? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Adebayor. Adebayor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was yeah. like, that's the next level. There was, was a level very, and he took like 15 steps past that yeah, level. That was but, very Terrell Owens. Uh, like. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was great. But Spike A.T. Milan, fantastic performance. Just get back into it. I thought yeah. Atalanta really came at him. Uh, Napoli, despite not having Insigne, no Koulibaly, uh, Fabian Ruiz, I, I thought that they really had a good, good showing and, and they were busy. And that was a, honestly, if you got to see that game, Napoli versus Atalanta, I thought it was a great advertisement for the league. It was so fantastic. Back and forth. It was fantastic. so good. And, and Atalanta just has too many weapons. You know, you can start with Duvan Zapata and then, okay, he gets a little bit tired. Bring on Luis Muriel or Pasolic just had three goals and now he's, He's on fire, Malinovsky. I mean, it's just relentless how good they are. And, and credit to their manager, Gasparini, for creating that type of depth despite not having a really big budget. So really impressive performance for Atalanta. For me, a must-win for them if they really want to be considered Serie A or Scudetto uh, title, title contenders. And, and uh, I'm curious to see how Napoli responds because those injuries that they've suffered have not gone away. And very quickly about Napoli, if you support them, I would be pissed a little bit at Luciano Spalletti because he didn't make that many rotations, but they were on great form. They were good on both sides of the ball. And you guys have been there. You've seen it. When your team's in good form, you don't want to change anything. Keep it the same. Keep rolling those guys out there. But they're paying the consequences for that because now they've got a guy, a couple guys that are hurt, and that could really hurt them in the Scudetto race. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, because I think that's well put across all of those games, was, was the Venezia game. Obviously, going yeah, up. That three, was three, crazy. Crazy. Going up and, and not being able to hold that lead. And this is the problem. But you want to break it down first? If everybody, it's people that haven't watched it. Venezia was up 3 nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Then the break. And then suddenly Verona come back. First of all, there was an own goal. And then a penalty. And then uh, in the 67th and 85th minute, uh, Giovanni Simeone once again. And then they end up winning 4-3. There was a red card as well in the yeah. 60th minute. Two two bangers, by the way. Yeah, two so bangers. Go Chorizo. ahead, Heath. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it, this is the problem for a Venezia side, right? Is you don't know what you have until it's gone when you're a promotion team. Don't they approach it always yeah. seem to go. Yeah, yeah go ahead. <laughs> they they only know how to survive right now, right? They've spent most of their games just trying to survive, prepping, prepping for the other team instead of saying like they are they're a promotion team. And historically and notoriously in Syria, the promotion teams very rarely stay up. They go up, they're elevator teams, they go right back down again. And so you spend all this time prepping for the teams that you play against that you actually don't know how to hold leads, especially when you have a big lead. You're always kind of figuring out, like, how do we get the one goal? How do we get the one goal and draw? How do we get the one goal and win? And so when you go up like that, you naturally, and I, I'm guessing there's some sort of psychology behind this, you can't help but take a deep breath and just blow it all out and go, man, mm. we finally made it. We've done something. We can finally have a game that we're stepping up. We have full control of this. And that's when it all falls apart. And you haven't, they haven't spent time in those environments. And not to give them an excuse because it's unacceptable to be up that many goals and then, and then just get rained on like that. 
but it's certainly something they're going to have to learn from and certainly something they haven't prepped for before. Because like I said, when you're a regular team in the league, you prep for other teams, you build your style of play home and away. It's a little bit different. But when you're a survival team, I've been in this, I've been relegated, I fought all year. It's all about who you're playing against and how you're going to approach that game to give you the best chance to get three points or a point out of that match. And you don't always have a scenario where you're like, well, how do we how do we play if we're up 3-0? Yeah, um, right, and that can right. be a really, and Jimmy talks about this a lot where like, Oh, the worst thing you can do actually is when you score early, then you're like, oh man, what do we do for the rest of the game? Now we got to hold on to this lead. Now we got to figure out how to play differently. They're going to take risks. Do we change the style of play? And exactly. so three nil again, no excuse is unacceptable, but I, I, I can see it. Uh, I can see how that can be uh, yeah. a bit of an issue. Usually it's two nothing is the most dangerous scoreline. It's like three nothing really. I mean, hey, listen, Jimmy, what about Mourinho uh, in that post game presser to the journalist? Your job is a lot easier than ours, which is why we earn a lot more mo more money than you. I don't disagree with the statement. He's just being. Uh, it's mean though. It is mean. He's just that guy, like get off my lawn guy. You know, it's <laughs> just so he's just so crotchety now. Grandpa Simpson, yeah. Before that seemed somewhat endearing. He kind of liked when he was a little bit hostile because it just added something to it. Now it's just tired and old, just like he is, and. I don't think he knows any different. Like this is how he's trying to be manipulating situations for so many years. And it, and it worked. It, it, it got him uh, countless trophies having this style and this mentality and this mindset. And I just feel like maybe the age of the players, they don't respond to him in the same way. The generation's a little bit different. Yeah, I, that's just one. That's just one speculation. But yeah, in some ways, I just think he's gotten a little bit tired, yeah. and, and and his new manager bounce doesn't last as long as it used yeah. to. Like Mick Jagger wearing his leather pants now. Honestly, it comes. It reminds me of these movies where it's like the washed up coach, and someone runs into him at the local bar, and he's got a drinking problem now, and he needs to have this like humbling experience where like somebody goes, oh. The high school team lost their coach, and then he steps in and coaches them back a bunch of bad kids. And he's got a through teaching these kids discipline, he actually yeah. becomes a new person and whatever. It's the only thing that can make him last. Otherwise, this is an idea for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's played out, right? And it's just bullying. Now he's playing at a different level with different quality of players. He's, I mean, coaching at a different level with a different quality of players, and he's got the same mentality, which I think is not fair to the players. It's not fair to the press. And the expectation is that. It's the same at Roma as it is at Inter Milan or as it was at Chelsea with a blank check. It's completely different now. And I think you're starting to see this where it starts to hit a little bit different when he makes comments. You go, oh, wow, that hurts a little bit more than it yeah. used to when you were the king of the world. It's getting old, I think. It's getting old. We're going to move on from Serie A. But before I do that, praise up to Andrei Shevchenko because Genoa's schedule coming up is not easy. And the fact that they need to get some wins. I mean, it was, I think Marco Messina tweeted it. It's like the worst time to bring him in. But is it really a good time? It's just it's just bad. It's going to be very difficult for Shevchenko. All right, let's move on because uh, we did have a big game in Germany that classic ad, and we did get what we expected and I think and then some by the way Bayern Munich win 3-2 against Dortmund all right I mean listen there was obviously the penalty decision Hummel's handball I mean talk to me Jimmy and then obviously Heath what happened here what do you think Jude Bellingham of course uh everybody saw that post presser he said, you can look it. at a lot of the decisions in the game. And if you give a referee who was match fixed before the biggest game in Germany, what do you expect? He pulled no, he like didn't hold anything back there. Jimmy, talk to me. Yeah, I love that. I will say the first half, very similar to Napoli Atalanta, was an incredible advertisement for the league. It was so yeah, back, back and, and forth. And, and the fact that they were going at each other, there wasn't any slowing down. There wasn't any conservative play. And it's funny because, you know, 
both of these teams have to know that they have to be a little bit tighter defensively against each other, but they just throw all that out the window, and I've got plenty of time for it. I love it. But in the second half, I thought it was all Dortmund for the first 15 or 20 minutes. Erling Haaland scores. I don't know why they took him out, by the way. If we want to break down Marco Rosa, like 10 minutes left, you're chasing the game, and you take out Erling Haaland. It doesn't make any sense outside of maybe he had a little bit of an injury and they want to be yeah, he's just coming I, back from injury so whatever, like, dude, gotta, like that game be a little beyond smart. like they're not playing Freiburg you know or whatever <laughs> what do you mean Freiburg's battering everybody Freiburg in the league exactly. <laughs> they scored six goals and a half against Mönchengladbach in Mönchengladbach listen you're right I used the wrong team but what I'm saying is that that I just don't understand no, that a move. key game you don't take yeah. him out you don't right. take him out but yeah. I will add that that penalty call or lack thereof I think it was against what Marco Royce or, or like Theo Hernandez or Lucas Hernandez, excuse me, came in. That's a total penalty. And mm. the fact that that wasn't called is an absolute joke. And then obviously they get a penalty called on them. And, and it honestly did feel like I'm with Jude Bellingham here. It felt like the referee was wearing a Bayern Munich Jersey underneath his yellow one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I, <laughs> he wanted an autograph yeah. after the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, he's just a big fan. It has nothing to do with the way that he calls the game. You know what I mean? You, you got to be able to separate that. As soon as that final whistle is, you can go back to being a fan again. It doesn't affect the way that you, you act on the field, but I agree. It was, it was, it was disappointing in that context uh, because I, I thought that it could have been obviously Erling Holland staying on would have been, Nice, but I can understand that somebody in the back room is going, do not hurt this guy. He's worth a yeah. fortune. Yeah, if he sure. gets hurt a second time in a season, that drops that transfer fee. And we can we can fund this club for a decade if we get what we want out of him. Um, and the fact that, like, you know, you want to protect him from himself because he's just a monster and he's probably built to break a little bit with the size that he is. But to go back to to, to the game itself, the most disappointing thing for me uh in that game was um uh, Matt Hummels. Uh, Matt Hummels, the most experienced player of anybody on any on any on any field in Germany at any time, makes a, a number of mistakes that that end up letting them down, uh, and and quite disappointing to be honest with you. The types of mistakes uh, that he made that had an effect on this game, the biggest game of the year. You talk about Jimmy, like you said, it's it's the one game of year that you keep Holland on. That's the one game yeah, of year yeah. that Matt Hummels should be able to get up for and score and celebrate against his, uh, his against his former team and not feel bad about it. Um, but yeah, overall, just a fantastically. And, and the other part that was a little disappointing is the fact that COVID is rampant right now in, in Germany. And so it was a limited capacity because normally yeah, with that, that a, yeah, you can hear yeah. the sound come through and the, the atmosphere. I mean, it was still loud and it was still rocking and you could still feel that sort of a classic vibe to it. But you know, when it's a, when it's a, when it's a packed house, Jimmy and I both played in there. I played there once Bundesliga and once, uh, with the national team, uh, before Jimmy's, uh, world cup in 2006. Yeah, I got, to, I, I just wanted to flex once on the Bundesliga and flex twice that we both got to share, uh, an experience, uh, in, 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 uh, in Dortmund. But, um, anyways, that, that was, that was my, my final thoughts. Your I got, thought, I, I, I got lost after flexing. No, but Lewandowski celebration against his former team. It's been enough years. It's fine. And it's Lewandowski. Do whatever the hell you want. That, you know, yeah, that, gives him, that gives him 22 goals in 15 games against his former club. Oh, but no Ballon d'Or, you tell me, right? Yeah, yeah that's that's the thing that continues to piss me off. It, it wasn't even like... I know, we shouldn't great. get this angry about Ballon d'Or, but it really pisses me off that he didn't get it. Yeah. All right, and here, here's a question for everybody, by the way, uh, both of you included, but uh, everybody watching, please, we would love your comments on this. Four points now ahead of Dortmund, uh, Bayern Munich. You would think that they're just going to keep on cruising. Is that it then? Bayern Munich winning Bundesliga? Did we think that already? What do you think, uh, Jimmy and Heath? 
I will say that even if Borussia Dortmund won this game, that Bayern Munich is still winning the league for the 10th straight yeah. year. Okay. That makes it super awesome and intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think Bayern is just too strong. However, I will say that the way in which Bayern played today was problematic to how far they'll go in the Champions League. If they play they that way in the Champions League, yeah, I don't think yeah. that they are unbeatable. And I don't think they have a little bit of that magic where they could just grind down teams and just be never make that vital error. If they're going to make vital errors, obviously a different squad uh, today. But if they're going to do that, I worry about their chances in the Champions League. But with regard to Bundesliga, I, I just don't see how Dortmund are literally playing the best that they have. They're completely depleted as a roster over the last month, month and a half or so. And they're and they're flying on all cylinders and can't get that result. I think that that's kind of indicative of of the fact that they're just going to end up coming up short in the end. Yeah, and COVID obviously will remain an issue as well in terms of, you know, just that energy from the stadium. But Bayern Munich looking very good. But uh, here we go. Uh, Joe, I'm just kind of over Bayern Munich winning all of the time. You guys <laughs> no, I love uh, I love watching a good team play. I mean, I uh, if I'm a hardcore Bundesliga fan or if I like, I don't know, Leipzig, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, Leipzig was a bad choice actually because they got their own money they just messed up but augsburg or somebody somebody that you really want to do well i mean you know it's just the it's the way the wind blows man in the bundesliga i'm sorry to tell you joe let's I, talk about, I, yeah. hey, I, I will say that the bundesliga starting i think it was this season started leveling out or or uh the the tv money so i think that could bring something but it's like one of those things where it's like hey we're changing after you've given this team 25 years of stacking the decks and getting their money right to be yeah, like hey like real madrid and barcelona yeah. Yeah. yeah, like moving forward, we're going to split this with everyone. And they're like, they're like, uh, you know, uh, worth a gazillion dollars and we're still trying to survive. But thank you for that. But I do yeah. think that there could be a, another winner in the next <laughs> next decade. Or so. We'll see. Well, if you're Leverkusen or as Jimmy says, never Kusen, that will never happen. All right, let's talk Jesse Marsh, everybody. Uh, we love him. He's a friend of the show, but he is done with RB Leipzig. Uh, CEO Oliver. Minslav said, Jesse came to us and said, I don't know if I'm the right coach for this team, if my philosophy fits with this fantastic squad. It just tells you a lot about him as a human being, I think. But at the same time, obviously, I have a lot of questions about that kind of statement, you know, uh, and, and just moving forward as well for, for Jesse uh, Marsh. What's next for RB Leipzig? What's next for Marsh? Uh, there's a lot here to discuss. Uh, Jimmy, thoughts? Uh, first and foremost, I'll say that I thought they would give Jesse more than five months. He started in Red Bulls in New York. He then was an assistant at RB Leipzig. Then he moved to RB Salzburg. And, and yes, RB Salzburg has probably more funds and is kind of the man city, I'd say, of the Austrian league. But he did what he had to do. And then they went into the Champions League and competed. He also had a chance to develop some of the world's best players, including Erling Haaland and now Dominic Zabisla, who plays for RB Leipzig. He just mm. he seemed like a natural fit. And then the fact that like his methodology and philosophy all of a sudden wouldn't work after five months and he can't work with these players, players that he's already worked with previously. And they have similar methodologies and they talk a lot when he's at, it's like, it's not like he came from a completely different club. Yeah. He's under the same umbrella and they're all kind of thinking and talking about the same things. I find it very odd that he would walk in there and say, maybe I'm not the right guy for the job philosophically. Now, now, maybe his style of motivation or whatever was a little bit too much or, or I don't know. I, I just feel like there's a lot more to that type of statement. And it takes a lot to walk into somebody's office and admit that. For me, there's two reasons you do that. Either you see the writing on the wall or, or and you're just going to get ahead of it, right? And end things amicably and just be appreciative and grateful for, for your time. Or there's, there's, there's something else that 
that you can see that you think you're still the right guy, but you're like, I, this is a losing battle because either some players have turned against me or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I, I look forward to maybe four or five years down the line when we get a little bit more of the true story. But very similar to what we're talking about with Marcel Brands at Everton, the sporting director, I feel like this sporting director, and I can't think of his name at the minute, but uh, Minsloff or whatever, he, he needs to take some responsibility and accountability as well because they did lose their two starting center backs. They did lose Sabitzer, who has been a rock in that middle of midfield. They did sign a player in Andre Silva, who isn't the same type of players that he was used to working with at RB Salzburg. They didn't really equip him with the tools to make that happen. They had more than enough talent. To, to win. And I actually don't feel like it's the Champions League group. When you're with Man City and PSG, okay, you're probably not going to win those games, but let's get, compete. And I think he actually competed in, in those three games so far against those two clubs. It was the listless performance at home against Club Bruja, uh, where they lost 2 1. It can't happen. You can't lose to them at home. They've lost some home games they shouldn't have lost to. They started the season losing to Mainz. You know, that just wasn't a good start. And then the one game in the Champions League when he wasn't on the sideline, they went to Belgium and won 5 0. And I was like, that's not good because now they've proven they can win when he's not there. And uh, I think that was just one step towards what was going to be an eventuality. Yeah. The, the only thing I would add to that is, is uh, I go back to, I was watching a game last year when Steve Trundolo was doing a broadcast for the Bundesliga and he was doing it out of, out of Cologne when he was still living in Germany before he came back here to the U S and he was very critical of young players. And I remember just being like, what's this guy's problem, man? I am a young player lover. I am all about the young players. Shut up about talking crap about young players. But what he was alluding to was that it is really hard to be good for a long time. And I'm, I'm adding words to what he was saying. But it's really hard to be good for a long time with young players because ultimately they, they make a mistake. RB Leipzig, for most of the games that I've watched this year, haven't been bad. They just make mistakes that are costly. And whether it's we, – we've seen that with Tyler Adams. We've seen that big time in Tyler Adams in the Champions League with, with, with PSG. We saw that Tyler Adams at the national team level. Big mistakes or mistakes that become big mistakes when you get scored on, on in transition and things like that. They haven't added new pieces. And so the only thing I would say is that, one, it's a really hard challenge if they're setting this standard of, hey, every year we're going to compete for top four with the youngest team in the world uh, uh, or in the, in the Bundesliga and with this philosophy of under 23 and blah, blah, blah. It works for a while, but if you don't replenish that constantly, that's a hard thing to do. And two, uh, there had to be a writing on the wall, as Jimmy said. There, th for him to look, look, look down the line, down the road and go, okay, they're probably telling me I'm not going to get a, any, any transfers in the window or I'm having to fight through this. I don't really believe in this team and adding one or two pieces isn't going to change the dynamic of the squad. It's probably better for me to just cut my losses and move on to the next club. And I think that's, again, another sign of maturity for him to not try to ride this out and be overly passionate and connected to the club because he was at Red Bull uh, New York. He was at uh, he was in Salzburg to now just say, okay, I'm not part of the family anymore. We've had a great run. I've done some great things along the way. I've got supporter shield. I won the league. I've competed in champions league. Now it's time to move on to the next thing. Instead of feeling like I've done this whole circle of life thing where now I've been successful at the last club, uh, mm -hmm. which would be hard to do no matter what. So I think the mix of young players and the fact that he probably sees that there's not really a future, like what's the upside qualify for champions league. You try again the next year, uh, with the same squad. I just don't see how this team can do that. It's very difficult to not just you know, restructure a squad, get them to do well, et cetera. It, it, not just losing players, like both of you said, but also the spine. There was a spine there that was truly lost. And that's difficult. I do find it interesting. Uh, and Fabrizio Romano also reported about it, you know, just how some players were not adapting to his system. And obviously Jesse Marsh is, you know, uh, you know, smart enough and uh, good enough to understand when he is failing. What's next for him? Do you mm -hmm. think, uh, because that's a, a tricky one, right? We talk about, 
how great he is, how talented he is. But, you know, there's also that extra mountain, I guess, you have to climb when you're an American coach in Europe. Obviously, Ralph Ranick, uh, he was his former assistant, maybe there. I don't know. What What do you think, Jimmy? What's next for Jesse Marsh? And then, Heath, I, obviously, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I think the American tag and, oh, an American manager is an easy excuse for anybody to get fired. Ah, oh, well, he's American. He, he said he calls it soccer, not football. I mean, that's more than enough justification to, to let him go. And, and, I don't think they did that. I don't think that's really involved in this at all. I just don't think it was uh, realistically working. And we, we've we been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Man, we're kind of worried, or a couple of months now at this point, worried about Jesse Marsh. These, these results aren't, they're just not consistent. They didn't really find any consistency this season. Anyway, I think that he does have a relationship, a good one with Ralph Rangnick. If he ended up on that Manchester United staff, all right. I don't. I guess that's failing upwards, right? I kind of would like like to see them there, especially because Rangnick's already said he's only going to be a bit of an interim. Not to say that Jesse would all of a sudden be coaching Manchester United. I think that fan base would melt if uh, they thought, oh my God, an American's managing us. Oh my God, like, what's the world's going to explode. But I think he would be fine. But that said, that's a different conversation that he could see. I could see him there. Maybe he's a better assistant coach. Maybe he wants to get out of the spotlight as the head guy for a while and get under Rangnick and see where it goes from there and maybe take a step somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, you know, he was a, a player for Bob Bradley and Bob, you know, had the Egypt national team job and went to Stabuk and then went to League Do and, and went to these places to try to carve out and get some more experience. You know, he could maybe take that proverbial step back to go two steps forward, but he definitely has to go back and prove himself somewhere where hopefully he'll get a chance and, and a much longer leash to actually have success. Yeah, I again, I, I think there's a a second like there's a tier one B club out there for him. I think out, uh, not a tier A. I think there's a tier A assistant coaching job, as Jimmy mentioned. And then there's you know maybe maybe there's vacant jobs right now when you look at the uh, possibility of a club like LAFC that's still open. Maybe, maybe he gets into the discussion of that leaving, coming behind Bob Bradley, who obviously gave him his first start as a manager. I think clubs like that, when I think about LAFC or a club that Jesse could be part of what LAFC are missing right now is a culture and identity or a philosophy of play that goes beyond what a coach can do, what any coach does or any players that you have, right? You come in and you build this philosophy of the club and LAFC did it by signing big players. Bob Bradley did a great job of making those players work and being competitive in day one. But now Bob Bradley's gone. The team had a bad year. And you look and you go, well, well, who are they as a club? And they don't have that identity yet. And so they need somebody that can come in. And again, I'm going a little bit too deep into this. But they need somebody <laughs> that, that could be attractive for Jesse Marsh, where you come in and you get to build this thing. And it's not about results today, tomorrow. It's about building this thing and the results will come. Similar to we see now some of the teams that have focused on their academies for the last decade starting to come to fruition. And other clubs starting to uh, kind of build that philosophy or that club that goes far beyond any players or any manager of the team. That could be a fun project for him if they gave him carte blanche to be able to do that with John Thorrington uh, within the club. I don't know if he'll get that or if it's even an interesting opportunity for him, but those are the three sort of options I could see out there. Obviously, Cincinnati's still open. Houston's still open. Uh, uh, Real Salt Lake is still open. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so certainly some opportunities, but not one that I would see him ju jumping all over unless he had the opportunity and the backing to, to create something special. Who do you do studio analysis for again? Um, uh, um, uh, <laughs> LAFC. Okay, I just thought it was a pitch, maybe, to Jesse Marsh there. No, I, I just think about. I'm just I'm literally just thinking about the club not having Bob Bradley leaves and the results leave with him, and you built a team to win, but you didn't build a club, and the club's still building their academy, and they're getting all these things right. But when I compare that to my like intricate knowledge of of Philadelphia Union who built an academy for a decade and now are trying to build a sustainable system where you go, this is the way that we play. These are the young players that we have. It's a little bit more RB Leipzig-like in terms of the plan and the philosophy. 
that that you build on versus saying, how do I construct a team that can win today? And then, you know, in three years, somebody else did it again, which is a little bit MLS 1.0 or 2.0. These mm -hmm. new clubs, mm -hmm. even though the pressure's on them to do well and sell tickets and whatever, they still have to find a way to build this uh, foundation and philosophy of the club moving forward. No, absolutely. A massive part that we haven't discussed what needs to be addressed is he has to his family to think about as well, right? I'm moving all the way to Europe and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, we know we want your thoughts on this, everybody. What do you think? Where do you think he should go next? A lot are saying, of course, you know, maybe wait until after Qatar, maybe a USM. Right, we got a Greg Berlhofer on here. Hey, Greg. <laughs> Greg. Greg's feeling the heat because now that Jesse's available, Greg. he's got to put it together for the USM. Uh, uh, as soon as Jesse loses a job, Greg makes a YouTube account and starts commenting on everything. Oh, the propaganda. Oh, boy. We're about to cause some mayhem. Anyway, we will keep tabs on that one. Very good. But good luck to Jesse Marsh, whatever happens in the future. All right, we're going to keep this tight. Three minutes of La Liga, okay? Let's see if we can do it. Uh, let's begin, obviously. Real Betis, uh, wake Xavi up a little bit with that one nothing win. We talked about it in the preview, everybody. And thanks to that win, they are third. Unbelievable Pellegrini, what he's doing. Jimmy, you're wearing the shirt. Talk to me. Yeah, great performance. Won me, followed up a hat trick against Levante in the previous match day to get the game winner in this particular game. When you see the goal, go watch the highlights. The defending from Barcelona is shambolic, I think is the word the kids like to use. I don't know. They probably don't even know if they use that. It's sus. <laughs> Suspect is what the kids like to use. So bad. Everybody's just a little bit late, second to everything, and just not really what I think. Uh, Xavi's going to be pissed when he, mm. when he sees that. I didn't really feel like they were all that dangerous. I didn't feel like Betis was was under the gun for too much of it. I didn't feel like they were under too much pressure. Nice to see Ushman Dembele getting back out there and, and getting some valuable minutes for Barcelona. But a fair play to Betis. They got a great result. And, and uh, Barcelona have got a lot of work to do because Madrid are on the top of the table with 39 points. Barcelona have 23, which means they're actually closer to the bottom of the table, Barcelona, than they are to the top. That's not a good look. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not even reading that, Gerardo. Xavi left Al Sad and joined all sad. <laughs> <laughs> I've got plenty of time for that uh, joke. That's amazing. No laugh. Heath Pierce, <laughs> let's talk because Real Madrid, obviously, they, they win, but they do lose Kareem Benzema. Jovic stepped up with a goal and an assist, and uh, Kubo seals Mallorca win over Atleti. Let's show that table as Heath talks there, Des Norris. Go ahead, Heath. Yeah, Real Madrid again are in this year where where they found it's kind of a bizarre year. Sevilla continued to do well um, also, but it's it's a year where it was going to be whoever found their feet the fastest. Uh, we're going to be able to get some points at the top of the table. I, I compare this also to Italy, where I thought AC Milan were going to be the team that found their feet fastest and were able to, to run away. But looking at eight points, obviously Sevilla have a game in hand and can stay competitive. But if you're Real Madrid and you're looking at Sevilla and Batiste, you kind of look at it the same way that you did Sociedad in, in the past and you go, man, they're going to give up points along the way. We might also, but if that's who we have to compare to, uh, I, I like my odds. And then obviously with uh, Atletico Madrid giving up those points to what was Takafushi Kubo um, <laughs> scoring, oh scoring uh, oh. and, you know, uh, it's an American owned club, which is kind of cool. And we've got some friends of ours that are partial owners of that whole thing, but it's just, uh, you know, not great for you, Jimmy, as a fan. No, I'm an Atleti supporter. I'm really disappointed that a Diego Simeone managed team has a 1-0 lead at home against Mallorca who are struggling and they give up two goals in the last 10 minutes. One on a set piece and one because they took too big, a, big of a risk to try to pressure and that leads to a breakaway that Taki Kubo finishes 
Now, you know, fair play to Mallorca, but God damn it, let's see what is even happening. Like they shouldn't even be in this position. They should be competing for the top of the table. And now I don't even think they're going to repeat as champions. And that makes me sad. All sad. Yeah. I'm all sad. Over oh, here. good. All, all sad. Yeah. And by the way, Sevilla winning against Villarreal keeps it in test. But there's a little bit of a theme here in La Liga, just like in Bundesliga. Real Madrid seems to be looking very comfortable, especially with all those other clubs suffering. Oh, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Des. One final point. Just another reason why we love Iago Aspas. Uh, Zach Lowy, our friend Zach Lowy on Twitter, reminded me of this. Uh, Celta Vigo. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Okay, Iago Aspas scores, okay? Uh, he goes crazy. He injures himself in the process, knowing that, like, you know, he, damn it, he's going to, you know, he could injure himself more or whatever. Mm -hmm. He's going to need to figure this out. So he takes his shirt off knowing that a yellow card will mean that he'll be suspended for the next game. Uh, so he can rehab himself. So he does that. He takes his shirt off, gets booked, whatever. So he's not available for the next game. But that's good because he knows that he hurt himself. So that's that's just the genius of Iago Aspas, by the way. Chess, yeah, he's, he's playing chess when all of us are playing checkers, by the way. So well done there. But that's La Liga, Chad. All right. We are going to wrap things up here with MLS. We have the MLS Cup. And yes, yours truly, come on now. They these have been flexing. I flexed it. Portland Timbers, NYCFC is your MLS Cup next Saturday. Fantastic stuff from both sides. Uh, Portland took care of business against Real Salt Lake. And NYCFC, we have to mention it, a depleted Philadelphia Union, of course, uh, due to COVID. Uh, but there was a good fight, 60 minutes up, and Philadelphia Union actually led two goals in the space of 90 seconds, and then obviously NYCFC in the latter stages. And they go to their first ever MLS Cup. Uh, congrats to our friend Ian Paul Joe, by the way, who does color commentating for them as well, and so many others. Obviously, my MLS local team, uh, I've reported on them ever since their inception, so it's pretty cool to see them. But Heath, MLS Cup, Portland Timbers, NYCFC, at Portland, by the way, which is actually a big deal. Talk to me. Yeah, can I also just mention that the the match winner came from Talis Magno, who is supposed yep. to be the next global superstar. And this was supposed to be a turning point for Major League Soccer. He was a super sub here. But he was supposed to be this turning point for Major League Soccer where now these teams are challenging for not just 21, 22, 23-year-olds in, in Argentina and Brazil, but the next big stars to be the stepping stone on their way, obviously delivers in, in this fashion, but but hasn't been you know the, the player that you expect of him when he was supposed to be one of the top few players in the world. But this is one where it went from being Philadelphia Union as probably the favorites to win MLS Cup at that point to then being the the, the favorites to lose in this game. Uh, and I was surprised with how poor uh, NYCFC played considering yeah. they were playing yeah. against a makeshift squad of very few starters uh, to the point where Aurelian Collin, who I, I knew I played Philadelphia still Union, but <laughs> only because I had seen his name on their, yeah. on their website but hadn't seen him play in a long time. They uh, were overwhelmed in Philadelphia, which says a lot if they traveled to Portland. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and Portland's going to be a rocking atmosphere. I actually can't think of a better atmosphere for an MLS Cup than, than a Portland. I mean, obviously, there are some other rival stadiums, uh, but anytime that you can take a match to Cascadia, you're going to get a rocking house, uh, which I respect. And, and for Portland, just, an, again, an incredible story for them. Outmatched. Uh, they, they were just too strong for Real Salt Lake, who, again, I think after a while, if they couldn't iterate, it's certainly an opportunity, I think, for Mastroini to get the full-time job, considering he, he had this level of performance or this fight in the team. I think that's a good belief system, but just weren't good enough to, to beat the Portland side. And then and then Philadelphia Union, again, went up one goal. And I was like, man, the magic could happen, but uh, just 
too too weak of a team to put out with too little experience to manage those types of expectations to mm. realistically make it to to the the final. And for anybody who who doesn't pay pay attention, they had ten I think ten plus players uh, in COVID protocol, uh, so unable to play, including Andre Blake, including a number of their captain. I mean, yeah, Glessness. I mean, they had a lot of guys. I'll just jump in and say that very disappointing for Philadelphia. I feel like they've had these these real exciting propositions of success they've been to a couple open cup finals and haven't won any of them they they are on the precipice of getting to their first ever mls cup and then they have this really unlucky unfortunate situation happen with the covid protocol and now they're shorthanded and yet they still almost made it happen which makes it even feel more heartbreaking like they just would have got slapped around by nycfc like all right, well, we're missing 11 guys, but they were hanging in there for a long time. And, and that was mistake. their first conference finals, by the way, that they'd ever reached that's 12 true, years that's to get true. that far just to have their team depleted was already a disappointment. Yeah, that's really well, tough. Well, look, yeah. It is tough. And looking forward to NYCFC, I'm happy that uh, Tati Castellanos will be back for the final. Yeah, uh, Portland, on the yep. Portland side, you'll have Sebastian Blanco, who should be healthy. So I don't Espria. Should yeah. have, and Espria will be back in. So you should have two full squads, relatively healthy, ready to go for MLS Cup. Two teams that know how to score, make the game exciting. So from that standpoint, I'm very excited about it. And now I'm actually getting itching to go. I'm looking right now at my Google Maps, like 10-hour drive. I'm like, I might oh. have to do it. So Heath, if you want to fly up and road trip up there, let's make it happen. But but on the Portland side, what I want to say about the Western Conference in particular, the last seven seasons in the, the Western Conference champion has either been Seattle or Portland. And so I have a little bit of a question of what the hell the other teams are doing in the Western Conference because that is unacceptable the rest of the other teams, especially you LA teams that pride yourself on being the, you know, the best, the best, the best, the best. <laughs> hey, by the way, you tweeted, <laughs> by the way, uh, you know, you, you, that you're going to... I did, we're going to run ship, baby. Let's go. You're going to be careful there. You might get a few crazies uh, joining. Ari Castillo is already... Oh, no, she was going to volunteer, but she's not going to do it anymore. So anyway, go to Jimmy Connor's Twitter if you want to <laughs> join up. That way should be very interesting. I'm getting, I'm getting a 15-passenger seat van at this point. Let's go. <laughs> Congrats, by the way, to Alex Callens as well, a Peruvian back in the final. That's awesome to see. All right. Well, give me I mean, we're going to do a weekend preview, obviously, later in yeah, the week yeah. and stuff. But uh, just very quickly, Keith, give me just quick final. What, what do you think? Just the Portland Timber support, local support will be too much, you think? Yeah, that that atmosphere, it, it's hard to explain it unless you're in it, obviously, but that home field advantage is real there. I've seen very, very average players become stars on that pitch because of the backing of that stadium mm. and that fan base. And so I just think this is a huge, huge lean towards Portland Timbers to win this one, plus the mentality that they have to be able to fight and scrap. Uh, I just don't see how NYCFC uh, can travel there and, and, and realistically expect to do anything but sort of fight fight their way out of that so i I'm, I'm going with a heavy favorite portland on this one all right jimmy and, and conversely i've seen great players go there and look average because yep. of the atmosphere and because of the pressure i i wonder and actually my big concern with portland was could they manage that knowing the game against salt lake that they if they won they would they would host the, the game there's a lot of pressure there and, and i thought they handled it on both sides of the ball very very well against a team that was feeling very good about themselves so i feel like they can Kind of take that mo that mojo that they had in this one and parlay it into this. But Tati Castellanos and NYCFC, I think it's gonna be a close one, and I think it's gonna be a great game. And that's what we need in our biggest games is a nice advertisement for the league. Absolutely. Um, by the way, speaking of Castellanos, he was a guest. He's a friend of the show, so make sure you check that out. Uh, super uh, interesting in Spanish as well with subtitles as well. So that's cool. And also Gio Savarese was a guest as well on the show. So a lot there to discuss, but we'll have much more content specifically we can preview and even more leading up to MLS Cup. Uh, final thoughts as we say goodbye, because by the way, Chelsea women clinched domestic quadruple 
with a 3-0 win over Arsenal in the Women's FA Cup final and so many other stories from everywhere as well. And speaking of uh, the women's game, don't forget to follow our great uh, sister podcast, Attacking Third, as well. But final thoughts before we say goodbye, Heath Pierce. Uh, just uh, Chelsea women's that's building a dynasty to win that much in a, in a season. And it's fantastic. And that's really it. I, I've, I went over my time limit on every one of my comments today. So I, I've got no closing thoughts, including your LAFC pitch. Yeah. Please come home, Jesse, please come home. <laughs> no, I just want to give a shout out to Sam Kerr in that game. She scored a second half brace. Frank Kirby scored very early against Arsenal to his point. They are a dynasty but that goal that she scored that that uh, really broke it open for Chelsea and created some distance in the scoreline is world class. And, and I can't say enough about what they've done. Emma Hayes, the, the manager of Chelsea and, and uh, just Sam Kerr in particular. What a player. Yeah. My only final thought is uh, Aston Villa beat Michael Oliver. We beat VAR. We beat <laughs> we City, and we got 2-1. That's all I'm going to say. But thank you so much, everybody, for being part of the family. Uh, Jimmy Conrad, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Heath Pierce, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, Jimmy Conrad on Twitter as well, and Instagram, Heath Pierce, the same, and myself, LMA Echegaray, Luis M. Echegaray on Instagram. But we got so much more content because guess what? The Champions League final matches in the group stages, the final games of the year. We're going to have all that content previewing, recapping. We got some great guests coming as well as weekend preview. Follow us on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your pods. Have a great great end of your weekend and if you're listening on monday morning i hope you have a great beginning to your week we will see you next time until then